Our scripture this morning comes out of the book of 1 John, chapter 4, and it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given of us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is, how we, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates their brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word for us this morning. Let us pray. God, as we read your word, the word that you so lovingly given us, the word that you have given us to show us hope, let us learn about your love. Not the worldly definition of love that we often use about our favorite food or the sports we play. God, let us learn what love truly is, which is you, because you are love. God, we know that there are so many definitions out there, but we know that you have outlined us it perfectly, what it is. And as Mike delivers the message that you have prepared in him today, Move our hearts. Spur us on to love one another. Let us not, let this, let this passage not fall on deaf ears. Let us look at the brothers and sisters next to, next to us in this room. Let us look to the brothers and sisters in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, so we know who we need to love. Because we know that if we don't love them, we don't love you. That's what you so clearly said in your word. God, change our hearts, mold them, and teach them to love those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord indeed. Thank you. You know, um, I want to say a couple things as we get going. Of course, welcome, like everyone else has been uh, said here today. Welcome to worship. Glad you're here on this wonderful Sunday morning at uh, 10 15 and a few moments ago one of our students shared some things about the Nicene Creed and over the past few weeks a number of others of them have and I want to just give a great note of celebration because I asked Kelsey I said 
did you help write those? Because if you helped write those, those are really good. But if you didn't help them write them, then they're really, really good. And actually, our students wrote all these things themselves about the Nicene Creed. So, wow, I mean, I'm just like blown away. It was magnificent. So, praise the Lord that another generation of leaders is, is emerging among us and being shepherded by you and by our uh, adult workers with youth. A couple other prefatory comments before I go right into the preaching of God's holy word. Um, you did hear the invitation to come to the Ash Wednesday services on uh, Wednesday night. Uh, it'll be here in the sanctuary at 6.30. It'll also, of course, be beamed live to the church online. You are encouraged then and encouraged again to come by if you're not coming in live. If you're here live, we'll have them here for you, but to pick up uh, one of those jars that has the oil mixed with the ashes for the significant uh, moment where we where we celebrate that and commemorate that. And just as a church, I want to remind you we're still in the yellow phase, which means in our uh, operations in Sunday school, in our 412, in our worship, we're wearing masks and, and slowly reemerging. We've believed for a long time we can always loosen the belt, but it's hard to tighten it once it's been taken out. So uh, keep keep tuned in. Uh, we hope as the pandemic continues to push back. Uh, we'll be able to open up more and more. But we're glad that you're here and, and certainly want you all back in here when you feel more comfortable. So let's go to the sermon of the day, the teaching. Today is our sixth in the series called Crowdsourcing, where we asked you, what would you like to hear from the pulpit? And the question today is, how is the congregation family? H how is a congregation of God the family? Well, <clears throat> love. Thanks for driving in, coming in online. Well, in reality, it is. It's, it's love. And, and what a shocking thing <clears throat> to have love as the topic on Valentine's Day. Who could have foreseen that? And I want to make sure we're talking about love that's love, not Cupid love, not, not the kind of love that... Cupid shoots at you that's sweet and syrupy and easy to market angels uh, market you know because honestly chubby little angels are so cute aren't they they're just so cute but Cupid la love I got to tell you Cupid love lasts about as long as a sugar high from one of those chalky little be mine valentine's day candies doesn't it, it it's it, it, it just comes and goes, but the love that from God, the love that comes from God, the love that Kelsey read of just a few moments ago is a love that lasts. It's the love that we need to give and the love we need to receive. It's what puts us with solid ground under our feet. So let me broke, break that down just a little bit so that we can dive right into the question of the day. Human love is a response to the divine love of God. Human love is a, is a response to the divine love of God. In 1 John 4, Kelsey began the scripture by saying this, by reading this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So what that means is, love makes us kin with God. We are family in God because we've been created out of love. We are from God. Our image is in God. We know that from Genesis 1, and we are connected to him intimately. We are part of his family. So you can only give what you are, and you can only give what you have. This is a simple fact. We've been given through God life, 
and we've been given through God love and we are charged by the Lord to be what we were meant to be and what we were meant to be is loving and I'm talking about love that is way more powerful and more effective than these arrow wielding little overweight angels with miniature wings so that's our setup now let's go so the love generated by God is not static it's performative now let's take a minute to see what that means in 1 John Kelsey continued to read where she read this is how God showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him so what God does is God does love he doesn't just think about love he doesn't just hope about love he does love God acts in love through Jesus Christ it's a performative love our highest destiny and our highest aim should be to reproduce the love of God in humanity that's that's kind of what we're about today you see Jesus life is a performative love his entire life is an act of demonstrating God's love for us so that we would know how and what to do with our lives I mean, that's what Jesus was all about, is to show us how and what to do with our lives here on earth. In our human life, we are never nearer to God than when we're loving others. We're never nearer to God than when we're loving others. Let, let me show you a little picture. Let me show you a little bit about static and performative love. There's Tyler and Bailey. The appropriate response to that is, ah. So Tyler and Bailey are getting married in March, March 12th, just a few weeks from today. And it's an exciting day, and we've been looking forward to it for a long time, as have they. But I want you to look at that picture. And of course, in that picture, depending on which side of it you're looking, you're either seeing beautiful or handsome, right? But it's static. In that picture, they're not doing anything. Smiling, I mean, it's all two-dimensional. But to be magnificent, their love cannot be static. If they really want to have a great marriage, your love cannot be static. Every great marriage that I've ever known, and the one that I'm a part of right now, drips of absolutely performative love, day by day. And I've counseled them and encouraged them, and, and any of you too, day by day, great effort is made in, in being loving, patient, kind, understanding, forgiving, all those things. And, and when you're in a good marriage, each sees the other performing a million acts of love day by day by day. Now, for clarity, and before you click off to watch cat videos on YouTube, this talk is not about romantic love, but it does include romantic love. It's about our responsibility to reproduce the love of God in humanity. So if you're going to note, I've already said that same phrase three times now, the, 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 the responsibility of human, humanity is to reproduce the love of God in humanity. If you're counting Nathan, that's four now. Okay. The Christian love exhibits love for God by loving others. We, we give it away. We share it. And the best being you, and this is where we're going today, the best venue in which to reproduce the love of God, the divine love of God, is in the church. This is the heart of the message. Church is a family, not an event. Have you heard that before? Church is a family, not an event. 
we are not having church we are church church is a body of people we gather at 8 15 and we gather at 10 15 but the church is not that event that happens in that it's much bigger much broader than that church teaches us how to relate to god and how to relate to other people so the church is to live out the experience of healthy and and, and be, of being a healthy and loving family But the direct question now, at the bottom of all this, eight minutes in, how is the church a family? Thank you for asking. I'm going to share four ways. There are probably more. How is the church a family? Well, it begins by saying we're joined together by something greater than our personal circumstances. We're joined together by something greater than our personal circumstances. We all have personal circumstances, don't we? We have personal circumstances that can align with our plans or personal circumstances that can really disrupt our plans for life. But when we look deeply, when we look deeply at at, at our circumstances, we can see that behind them and even through them that our families are joined by something greater than any specific situation, any specific circumstances. One of your friends, one of my friends, gave me a great example of of what I mean. Uh, Take a look at this. When I was a teenager, my elderly Aunt Margaret came to live with us. She had recently lost her husband, and she was estranged from her kids and her grandkids. She had a lot of health issues, including having had cancer. She was quite cantankerous, and to me, an embarrassment. With her toothless grin and her nearly bald head, I knew that this situation was uh, gonna put a kink in my teenage life. You know, having friends over, and there she was, having to take responsibility for her once in a while and taking care of her. But I loved my parents, and deep down, I really was kind of proud of them for doing this, for taking her in. So it wasn't long before I set aside my petty and selfish feelings, and I could see from their example, my parents, that a priority for our family was that family takes care of family. Family takes care of family. Aunt Aunt Margaret put a huge kink into Celia's perfect teenage plans. You heard it. Aunt, Aunt Margaret was cantankerous. But even as an annoyed teenager, Celia learned that family is greater than our personal circumstances. Family is greater than our personal circumstances. The church is joined together by something that's greater than our personal circumstances. Very few of us could argue that 2020 and 2021 haven't had lots of circumstances that have ruined our perfect plans. First, we had COVID. Then we had, uh, you know, a little windstorm. Then we had more COVID. Then we have this Arctic vortex or whatever it is that we're going on that's selling lots of snowblowers and snowplows and all that. And in the midst of that, we've had some personal situations and tragedies. People have passed away. People have been sick. Whatever our perfect plans are or were, they've been ruined. And yet, we know beyond them all We are joined together by the blood of Jesus Christ that's shed in God's love for us. We we are drawn together beyond our personal circumstances to the family. Something joins us together, and it's Jesus, and we care for others because of the love of Jesus, regardless of the situation, because that's what families do. That's what a church family does. 
And, and the church is a, is, a, is a family, secondly, because we have traditions that are passed down from generation to generation. Every family I know has these traditions, and we love them. I, I want to I, I let Taylor, Taylor tell you about a few of hers. Take a look at this. In my family, a lot of our traditions revolve around food and how that food brings us together and how those recipes have been passed down from generation to generation. A few of the things I think of immediately when I think of food in my family is my papa's peach cobbler, um, my great great aunt Millie's caramel corn, uh, my grandma Edna's strawberry pie, um, and also Christmas Eve. Um, every Christmas Eve, as long as I can remember, we've had soup and sandwiches. Um, for the bulk of growing up, that soup entailed chili and oyster stew. Um, and the sandwich was a minced ham um, or minced um, turkey sandwich. And while the contents of the soup and sandwiches have changed because those aren't the most popular flavors with the family anymore, that tradition lives on. Um, and that's something that I'm greatly thankful for and something that I will hopefully pass on to my kids when I have them someday are those recipes and those traditions that have focused around food for us. So, I mean, can't you just smell and see that peach cobbler and the caramel corn being made in the kitchen and the soup on Christmas Eve, all of which, as Taylor said, were tasty for sure. They, they loved eating them. But, but, if, if you really listened, the importance for Taylor's family is in the moment. It was in the traditional moment of being together to, to eat them. That's when the love of family just absolutely explodes every year, year after year. You even heard her say that, yeah, recipes changed because our taste did. That, that's a nice way of saying, without saying, Grandpa, we don't love the minced meat anymore. The, 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 the tastes have changed. There's, there's food at the fellowship, but the fellowship's not the food, you see? The love of passing that tradition on of being together, whatever the menu is, that doesn't wane. That won't wane in her family. Our church family is ripe with traditions that, that we've received from a past generation and handed on and plan to hand on to the next generation, even some of those that have not been born yet. We know how much we love to come into the sanctuary of Marian Methodists and raise a candle high when we sing Silent Night. I've been with it for you 18 times, and I love it every single year. We know what it's like to, to have the imposition on, of, of ashes on our heads, and that's what breaks our hearts right now is that some of those traditions we have to kind of do in a different, different way. We love having the ringing Methodists and the singing Methodists. We love it when we have a baptism like we'll have next week at this service, and we put the water on the child, and then we sing that song that's indigenous to our congregation as far as I know only. We sing that song, Jesus, here's another child to hold and watch every mother have a tear in her eye and watch the hair stand up on the back of the neck for most every man in our building because there are traditions. We have the tradition of the, the, of the harvest market or, or, or the bazaar, we've called it. And we love being out there having fellowship with each other. And there's one thing that's a tradition in this church that's come nearly into sacramental status, and that's the sticky buns, all right? Amen? And we love to serve the Lord 
by serving other people. We're never going to stop making fly sandwiches as long as we can see. We're never going to stop contributing our lives and our finances to, 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 to uh, students at Marion Cares. We're never going to stop reaching out beyond ourselves, nor are we ever going to let anyone tear away from us the opportunity to receive the body and blood of Christ through the symbols of Holy Communion. Those are our traditions, and it's in our traditions that the church family's love just explodes, just like Taylor's family's hearts explode in love every year, year after year. A third way the church is a family is because we don't always get along, but we always have each other's back. Let me give you an example. Take a look at this. Growing up, I was the youngest of three siblings. Uh, my brother was 10 years older, and my sister was eight years older. And so, you know, when they were in high school, I was in first or second grade and always wanted to be around the cool kids. You know, we had the seniors on the football team over for team dinner, and my sister had her teammates over, and I just wanted to be around them because uh, they were cool. And I would pester and annoy them so much to the point that my brother would physically pick me up by my ears and drag me out of the room and lock me out. Um, I can remember another time that my sister lost a board game uh, and she went and dug out my brother's box of pictures and ripped all of them in half. Um, she was so upset. So I think back to the times that we didn't get along, um, you know, when family is always going to get along 100%. But, you know, when push comes to shove, uh, there aren't very many other people uh, that I would turn to when it really comes to uh, the support or really having my back. It, it's true. It's true. Travis said in the middle of his video, siblings can be annoying. And I know because I was one, right? I mean, we can be annoying. That's what siblings do. They might even drag you out of the room by your ears. Did you hurt when that happened? Ow. And, and, you heard the end of his video. When push comes to shove, you know support will come from the family. In some ways, this is how we know the church is a family. Because like brothers and sisters, we may from time to time have a little spat here and there about what color we want to paint the girl's bathroom or where the coffee pot might go. But in one and the same time, we are super uber protective when someone in this family is hurting, being injured, or ill. In Christian love, as part of the family, we can hold each other accountable. And we can grow from our mistakes. And in Christian love, the family inspires each other to be better. We don't always get along. We're human beings. That's how the family is sometimes. But in the family of God, we always, always have each other's back. And the church is a family because we get fed constantly, whether we're hungry or not. In the family of God, we, we receive, we are constantly fed, hungry or not. And I'm not talking about the food like we have out there at Wednesday night meals. We're not talking about the men's breakfast where you can have five or ten of those wonderful sticky buns. Well, ten might be a limit, but... Or, or the Sunday cookies or other things. 
I'm not talking about the German grandmother that says, here, you need a sandwich, you need more, more, more. I'm talking about the fact that every week we have worship. And some of you here have heard thousands of sermons. Some of you have heard nearly a thousand from me. Not to mention the pastors that preceded me or other places that, that you went. You continue to get fed, even though in times where you're like, hey, I'm not spiritually that hungry today. But every week, we, Vicki sends out on Monday morning a, a devotional. We send out a devotional so that you might be inspired for the week. We have groups and classes and devotional writings that come out, and et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera, all in the hope that, that, that the fork will go in spiritual feeding into your mouth. The spiritual feeding here never, ever stops. Now, I want, I want you to take it just a minute and listen how this connects to an earthly family. My friend Steve has something to share with us, so take a look at this. From the time I was 10 years old or so, uh, my dad would always have me come help him with his uh, little projects around the house. Uh, everything from plumbing, electrical, um, trim work, um, roofing, whatever. Um, he would always have me tag along, and at first it was great. You know, I was curious, but you know, like most 10 year olds, you, you kind of lose your interest when all you're doing is handing uh, tools and uh, holding the flashlight for him. But every once in a while, I get curious and ask questions and my dad being the consummate teacher would say, oh, well, in that case, and he would explain what he was doing and then let me try. And time went by and thing you know i'd do a little bit more and the next thing you know we'd be getting a project set up and we're ready to go and dad said all right here you go and so uh by the time i was done with high school um he and i would pretty much collaborate on all the the home projects that we were on and this is all because his dad fed him all that knowledge and skill that he then fed me and then of course me also being a teacher, I fed my son the same information, and he uses it as well. So, I mean, you get that, right? So in, in Steve's family, being fed was, was the passing on of techniques, the passing on of abilities, and, be, and being able to lead, and therefore being able to feed others. And it's just like that that the church family reproduces the love of God in humanity, the feeding never stops. It never stops. So the congregation as a family does not allow love to be insipid or static. Christians know that love is not what makes us feel good. It's not what makes us feel well-adjusted or just supports our personal interests. It's performative. We receive and then we go out and do the love of God in humanity. And that's why we say, and if you didn't get it yet, this is the sixth time I've said it, a church family reproduces the love of God in humanity. It's likely why you're part of one. It's likely why you're part of one. It's what we offer it's, it's what we offer to any that are here today, to any who are watching online, to any who are feeling far apart, to, to any who really are just seeking a place. The family is to never stop reproducing itself. So.